This is the story to end all stories, Harry. A ship of robots and computers with this thing in charge? Not quite, Dr. Durant. Maximilian and my robots only run this ship the way I wish it run. How do you know my name? You were monitored ever since our sensors first detected you. Now, now, Maximilian, calm down. Don't pick on small people. He's such a nice little robot. He's harmless. Everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Not a Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and revisit films that either bombed at the box office or they didn't fare too well with the critics. Uh, Brad, episode 98, closing in on 100. We just got done talking about a comic book film. And now we're going to talk science fiction, which is right in your wheelhouse, right? Yeah, this episode's all about me, but you picked it. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> well, I hey, look, the reason why I picked it was a we had talked about this I think a year ago and I don't know how we got on topic of this film and you kind of blew my mind because you said you had never seen it so this was a first time watch for you right it was it was um I, I'm trying to think why I never saw this I've, I've heard of it I guess it was sort of the response I heard on the quality of the film that I just never made it a priority there's okay a thousand more science fiction films that you can watch besides this. So those thousands took priority. Okay. Well, we're going to talk tonight about uh, an interesting film from the Disney corporation. So it's a little independent uh, corporation that kind of owns a few franchises, right? Uh, Subscription services. I think a theme park that seems to be doing pretty well. Apparently Um, there are a bunch of groomers. (laughs) <laughs> sorry yeah. no let's not go there sorry <laughs> um, that's a joke but we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh 1979's the black hole and this also gives us an opportunity to bring back another science fiction expert uh our good friend john nance john how are you hey troy brad how's it going doing pretty good doing pretty good happy to be back we're excited to have you, man. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this film um, with Brad, but also with you, because we're we're kind of the same demographic. Brad's Brad's the the youngin of the trio here, and uh, I, I thought it would be interesting to start a conversation about Disney. So, growing up, and and this is seven year old Troy talking, Disney was an interesting company because it wasn't for me all about the animated films. It was about their live action films as much as their animated films. In fact, I would even say that I probably watched more of the live action films as a kid than I did any of the animated stuff. Uh, and, and John, did you grow up with sort of the, the Disney films, like the Kurt Russell stuff, the computer war tennis shoes, all all those type of films did, did, were, were you watching those when you grew up? Yeah, it, it was mainly a lot of the live action or the the live action hybrids like Peach Dragon, um, you know, uh, 
you know, forgive me folks, but yeah, I, you know, saw song of the South, but you know, it was like, it was that hybrid that I grew up with the Davy Crockett's. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's, that's what I grew up on. Very few of the animated films did I enjoy uh, with the exception of Fox and the Hound always be a favorite of mine. Um, but yeah, pretty much the same, same deal. Yeah. And it, it's crazy because Sunday nights you would get, I think it was the wonderful world of Disney. And a lot of times they would take these films and split them up and you would watch like one hour, one night, and then a week later, come back and finish it. So that, that was the Sundays, right? Um, yeah. But Brad, Disney live action films, I, I think by the time you would have been seven years old, uh, Disney was releasing that stuff through like, what was it? Hollywood pictures or touchstone pictures. I can't, yeah. I can't remember the Yeah, subsidy. It was definitely under a different label. I, and like, I wasn't a Disney kid growing up. I think Aladdin came out, what, 90, maybe 93, 92, 93. I know Aladdin and Lion King was like 92, 93, 94, somewhere in that span. And that's where <clears throat> kind of Disney took shape in my life. Um, Cause before that, you know, you had little mermaid and all that stuff. And that wasn't for me. Um, now, you know, technically star Wars is under the Disney yes. umbrella, but that was what I, you know, so it was watching those films. And so Disney never really played a big part of me growing up. I don't have that nostalgia for Disney at all, really. Um, okay. I mean, Aladdin for a little bit, but not really. Yeah. As I say, Aladdin might've been 92. So if, if that's when you were kind of watching films, Disney at that point was probably making a name for itself just based off its animated fare. And, and yes. it had a good run of animated films in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. But I, I think people forget about like the Apple Dumpling Gang, all, all these things that they were doing in like uh, Freaky Friday, the 60s and 70s. And I, I have I have no context for any of that stuff. We might have watched some of that stuff in school, like on, you know, we the teacher would haul out the, the uh, TV with the VCR and we might watch a movie on a Friday or something. And it might be Davy Crockett or something like that. But besides that, Nothing. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask a question and we're going to play a little top three game, right? And this will probably date John and I terribly. And you're going to look so young after this, but I thought it would be interesting to say, okay, what are our top three non animated Disney films? Okay. Can I, can I I just go ahead? I know we didn't talk about these picks, but I think we're going to all have the same number one. You think so? I think so. I guarantee we won't. Okay. But we'll see. I'm going to start with you, John. What's your number three pick? Disney non-animated films. Non-animated? <clears throat> okay, so I kind of like tried in the realm here because there's a little bit of CGI. Uh, my number three is Tron. Ooh. Okay. Um, 1982. Tron was, my, Tron was my number two. Okay. That was my yeah. number two as well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, the blend of live action with the CGI back then um, just blew my mind. Um, and it was just, it was just... You know, it, it stands on its own as a, a true legacy, uh, you know, standard for you know how to how to really get someone's attention. Have you all watched that movie recently in the past little bit? Yes. Yeah, I have too. It holds up really well. Very, very well. It's very, the very well. it's the concept. I, I think what what Tron is really good at is in terms of science fiction or fantasy. It, it and I love films like this where they try and take science. And take it to a point where it kind of makes sense, but in no way, shape, or form is that real science, right? However, in the context of the world that they build, Tron makes sense and it works. 
And even today, I think those visuals uh, just hold up. They're, they're so yeah. cool. Looking. You, so, oh, yeah. you, sh- you show someone a light cycle and they're like, oh, that's a light cycle from Tron. Like it, it's iconic. Yes. Uh, you know, Absolutely. The, the disc and all that stuff, like all that stuff still holds up and still is relevant today. 40 years later. Yeah, especially if you think about it, you know, with the modern age and more virtual reality and stuff. I mean, the two worlds are really starting to blend in, you know, for some people. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. It's kind of a damn shame that we don't have more stuff that's Tron. I think Tron Legacy is pretty fun. The soundtrack is amazing. Yes. Yes. The Daft Punk soundtrack is so good. Yes. Uh, I think that's another film that ages well on multiple viewings, too. The the Jeff Bridges face stuff looks really bad. Um, oh, yeah, with Clue, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, and then we only got like Tron Uprising, and we got a few video games, but not that much for what I feel like Tron is to us. Um, it's a damn shame. Oh, I agree. It, it's a property that I think needs a um, a good writer, a good director, and them to just decide, hey, we're going to continue a franchise out of this and just go with it. Yep. So it's it's so cool. All right, Brad, what's your number three? So this is probably not on either of your lists. Um, it is the one film I, I figured I'd be out on an island on. It is a 2000 film. It is Remember the Titans. Uh, probably one of my favorite sports movies of all time. I grew up and played sports in high school. So I've seen Remember the Titans no less than a thousand times. Because every time you travel, you watched uh, Remember the Titans and then something else it was basketball, it was Hoosiers. Um, it was baseball. You're watching major league. So it was always remember the Titans and something else. And I, I think it's a great movie. I mean, it's got a awesome Denzel Washington performance, uh, Ryan, a young Ryan Gosling's in there. Um, it's one of my, it's probably my second favorite football movie behind uh, Friday night lights. So, wow. Yeah. You, yeah, wanna- you know, it, it it's, so it is a little cheesy, yes, and it's like it's playing on this race thing and doing all this and that, but it you know, it makes me feel good when I watch it and that's all that really matters. So I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Never You've seen never it. Never seen it. No. Yep. Yeah. I saw the trailer, it just did not interest me. Um, it looks a little, now (laughs) you see the Disney logo on on the poster on that and you just, you have to expect it's going to be a little, um, Hollywood schmaltzy, which I'm sure it is. is. Absolutely. It's not one that I don't think I'll ever revisit, but every time I come across it and here's the other thing I I own it, it's just sitting in that pile and I just haven't gotten around to it because it keeps getting pushed down, but I may watch it. If it picked on, on your top three list, I may just go ahead and say, well, we got to watch this thing. Um, it's worth a viewing. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So we got Tron. We got Remember the Titans. Okay. My my number three, I guarantee, is not on either of your lists. And uh, it has a special place in my heart because this was the first VHS movie we ever rented. And uh, at the time, you would go and rent your VHS player and then pick out your movies. And the, the first generation VHS players, the remote was on a wire. And so... You, you brought that sucker home. But the very first movie that I got to pick out and that we rented, uh, and, and I, I, I love this film, even today, it's 1978's The Cat from Outer Space, starring Ken Berry, <laughs> Sandy Duncan, and one Roddy McDowell. So uh, I think it's a perfect kid's film, but there's something about a cat from outer space that just speaks to me. 
And um, it's it's one of my favorite non-animated Disney films. And again, it's something I grew up on, watched over and over and over again. Uh, but in, anytime that sucker is on, I can't leave the room. I got to sit down and watch it. So that's my number three pick. All right, John. Okay. Uh, have you have either of you seen that film? I know John. Yes. You got to. I've yes. No. Long no. time ago. Yes. Brad, you got to show your kids the cat from outer space. Okay. It is. It is. It is. They'll enjoy it. I, I'm pretty sure they'll enjoy it. They'll love it. I'm guarantee they'll love it. Okay. Okay. John, what's your number two? So <clears throat> my number two is kind of like, uh, as you said, you know, as, as a kid growing up, um, back then we owned, you know, we were one of the few families that actually owned a VCR because they costed, they cost so much money. Oh, they were expensive. Um, oh God. Yeah. Um, but my dad, but my dad bought it. Um, and I, I watched it so much, um, that I, I don't know how I didn't wear that VCR tape out. Uh, my number two is Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. Oh, okay. that's a good pick. That's another yeah. classic adventure film, it's like, man. It's a classic. Fess Parker, you know, it, 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 there's just something about the movie, Davy Crockett, um, you know, just the visuals, the action, and the, the comedy, and just the storyline with it. It just always enamored me. And, and as you said, you know, every time, you know, we had a chance, I, I would throw it on the VCR and just, just sit back and just let, let Davy Crockett take me on another adventure okay. down the same river. That's a, that's an awesome pick. I love it. All right. So Brad, your, your number two is Tron was Tron. Yes. Okay. Um, my number two was Tron. Okay. So we're into the number one category already. That was quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you think our number ones are going to be all the same. So let's see if you're right, John, what is your number one non-animated Disney film? You know, it, I thought it would be harder to, to decide, but it was actually quite easy. Um, two comedic geniuses, um, one future Hulk, talking about Don Knotts, Tim Conway, <clears throat> Bill Bixby. You, you guys got to give it up. Apple Dumpling Gang. That oh, movie yes. was just, I, I, I adore and love that movie. And I, I still watch it from time to time to this day. Um, Cause you just can't get, you just can't have much more fun, you know, w- with a live action Disney movie than that. I- I'm sorry. Uh, Apple dumpling gang all the way. Did, do, do you like the sequel, the return of the Apple dumpling game? I, I did enjoy it, but there's always something about the first one. The first know? one's it, near perfect film. I, I love yeah. it too. The second one I think is solid, but it's not as good as the first one. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, Brad, was that, see your, that one coming? Was that your number one? <laughs> see pick? That one? No, oh, okay. it's the wrong pick. It's a wrong uh, pick. No, I respect John. I love you, John. <laughs> but it's 1991's The Rocketeer. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Yeah, Joe Johnson. Come on. Did did, did you see that in the theater, or did you discover that on? Home I did. Media? I saw it on the theater. I was uh, like eight years old. Okay. It was one of my like one of those memories that I remember specifically going to the theater. I can still smell the popcorn. I still like all that stuff. I have a vivid memory. I'm seeing the Rocketeer in the theater. Um, well, you're going to have yeah. to save your comments on that because we are talking about the Rocketeer this summer. We are. Uh, yes. it, and in full disclosure, it is my favorite movie poster of all time. The teaser that they did. Um, oh, where, the, uh, the Art Deco. The Art Deco, yep. which yeah. is a summer of 1991. Yep. And um, I buy any and every Rocketeer figure, anything that they produce Rocketeer, I, I will buy. I have the trading card sets. All that stuff. I, I love that film. I agree with you. It is not the best non-animated Disney film ever. Um, 
I'm going to have to pick the very first film I ever saw in the theater. And I didn't see it at the time it was released, but this is one of those films that every so often it would just get another theatrical release. That was the thing about the Disney film, especially the animated films. Like every five some years, it would just show up in the theaters again, right? So this one showed up in the theaters again, and uh, my parents took me to it. And ever since I saw that film, every time I'd see one of these cars, I would just yell out, Herbie. So we're talking about (laughs) 1968's The Love Bug with Dean Jones and Buddy Hackett. This film. Buddy Hackett. Yeah. And and you got to keep in mind, in 1960, so the film comes out in 1968, but in 1969, it was the second highest grossing movie of 1969. That's how popular it was. And it has an entire franchise to it. But um, I, I love the original, um, The Love Bug. I actually think if uh, you want to get me back into the movie theaters to watch the next Fast and Furious franchise, you're going to need <laughs> Herbie in it because um, I think that would enhance any kind of car driving Vin Diesel film. That's but, uh, probably not too far out of the picture. <laughs> it's I, yeah. At this point, yeah. I think based on um, where they're at with it, I think they could just introduce Herbie and it would be a natural progression. And uh, Vin and Herbie can go on some adventures together. I'd, I'd be down for that. Just know Lindsay Lohan. That's okay. Yeah, that, that remakes atrocious. <laughs> but listen, Herbie Goes Bananas, uh, Herbie Goes Monica, all of those films are great. Yes. But the, the first one, Love Bug, is fantastic. Yeah. Love it. Uh, it's a good choice. Good pick. Those are so, yes, Brad, just just the, the movies you're picking versus the one John and I are picking. <laughs> completely different childhoods there. But there's still, yes. I mean, all the movies we talked about, I think, are A plus, except for Remember the Titans. I haven't seen it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna assume. It's an A-plus film because you picked it. You have good taste. Obviously. All right. Well, <laughs> well let's let's talk about, um, at the time, Disney's most expensive film, which was 1979's The Black Hole. Uh, Brad, you had never seen this before. John, did you get to see this in the theater? So this is, this is hard for me. I can't remember. Um, I don't think I did. I think I first saw it on a, a VCR. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you ever seen this in the theater? I actually have. When they did a re-release um, many, many years ago, uh, Germany is, in fact. Um, yeah, so I got a chance to see it in the theaters. And yeah, yeah, everything's better in the theater. Sorry. It's just the way it is. Yeah, this, this was, I remember seeing this um, at seven in the theater. Lost my freaking mind after watching <laughs> it. Now, keep in mind. I think when I saw this, and I, I wasn't able to kind of look at the original um, specs of the release, but I think this was one of those 70 millimeter releases when they're doing like yes. six, eight track Dolby, because yep. I, I remember in my head thinking that the screen was just enormous. Like I had never seen a film projected that big on the screen. Uh, and they recreate a little bit of the theater experience with the home media release. Now I have like two copies they released it a couple times on DVDs, Anchor Bay, Disney. Disney just did a Blu-ray. I think it's on Disney Plus. I know in all the home media versions, they actually have the overture that plays so John Barry's score before the movie even kicks in. Um yeah. do do they have that on the Disney Plus edition? Does anybody know? I didn't yes. watch the Disney Plus edition. Okay. Yes, they do. Yeah, they do. As a matter oh. of fact, it threw me for a loop because I put the Blu-ray in um to watch it and it's playing the playing the loop, and I'm like, 
what the hell's wrong with my player? And then I, I screw it. I'm flipping over to Disney plus start Disney plus. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with my streaming service? <laughs> but and I it's like two that, minutes long. It's yeah. Like two minutes of black screen. And I'm like, what is exactly. my picture not working? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what you have to imagine is sitting in the movie theater, the house lights come down and these are typically movie theaters that are not in your multiplex. These are your 500 to 850 seaters, right? So they'd have, the huge curtain in front of the screen. And usually the, and I remember this vividly, the lights come down, there's a little bit of color on the screen and you see the title card, the black hole. Um, it wasn't a uh, black screen, but John Barry's overture kicks in and you hear it for, uh, it's, it's about two minutes, it's the main theme. And then the curtains slowly you know, part and then the movie starts. This is one of the last films to have an overture. If you think about all the movies released kind of pre-1979, especially big blockbusters, um, they would have this overture where you would get the composer who would do a section of their their song and it would kind of be put in front of the film and it sort of set the tone or the stage of the movie. So this was, I remember, the first time I'd ever been exposed to that. Uh, and, and it just kind of blew me away. And I'm going to full disclosure. When we talk about this, this film tonight, this is seven year old Troy reviewing this thing. So, um, I'm it, I cannot look at this critically. Uh, and I'll, we'll talk about why, because I think for even, um, maybe the sci-fi and horror nerds, uh, like John and I, if we caught this thing at seven or eight years old, uh, it pretty much influenced our movie taste from here on as much as Star Wars did, I would even say. And so we'll talk about that from the historical context. But Brad, you always start with the financials and kind of give us a little bit of a context of movies when they're released at the time. So <laughs> let's let's go down that path and, and give us a little bit of history and, and context on this release. Yeah, so released December 21st of 1979, The Black Hole has a reported budget of $20 million. For a little context, uh, Star Wars A New Hope uh, was released a few years before that with an $11 million budget. So twice the budget of Star Wars. Um, Its total box office gross, all domestic, $35.4 million. So it was not worth investment to Disney. Um, also, because critically, it only sits at a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 45% with the audience. Um, the films that you could have seen December of 1979. John, the first one is for you. It is Star Trek, the motion picture. Yes. Gross is $139 million. And I believe, and John, correct me if I'm wrong, for 1979, that was the most expensive movie ever made, right? With Star Trek motion picture. Exactly right. Paramount Pictures put their eggs in a basket and it paid off. Okay. Then we also have 1941, The Jerk. Uh, Then we have Being There, Kramer versus Kramer. All that jazz, and that's about it. But that, man, that's pretty loaded. Amazing. Month. Month. Some- <laughs> oh yeah. Um, if we want to talk about science fiction films, let me let me tell you how crazy 1979 was. Oh, so, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, do you guys know domestically what film made the most money domestically in 1979? Here's a hint: 
It did not come out in 1979. Uh, oh, it was still Star Wars, wasn't it? No, it had it had not. to be uh, so, so Superman. Superman. Yeah, 1978, Superman. right? Yep, came oh. out December 1978. Then we have the Amityville Horror, which makes 86 million dollars. Rocky to Star Trek: The Motion Picture and Apocalypse Now were the top five grossing films domestically of 1979. Yeah, it, wow. And the influence of Star Wars is so big at this point. To to again put some more context into it. Um, TV shows were coming out that were space centric, two big ones for my, my childhood. And I know for you as well, John, Buck Rogers, um, in the 25th century and the original Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Now here's how insatiable everybody's appetite was for kind of space fantasy opera, uh, Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers. They basically took the pilot of those TV series and released them in the theater as a standalone film. So just think about that for a second. Just imagine something you could see for free at home, the pilot, they add a couple like 15, 20 minutes to it and they release it in the theater and it ends up making $20 million. So Buck Rogers, the TV show, the the first episode of the TV show gets released theatrically and makes $20 million. So does Battlestar Galactica. That is crazy. That's insane. That's insane. James Bond. Yeah. James Bond catches space fever and you get Moonraker in 1979 and they sink like 35 million into that. And worldwide, it makes over 200 million in 1979, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Highest, highest grossing Bond film back then. Yeah. It's crazy. Like 1979, everybody was nuts for anything space related. And I actually was in the theaters when um, they released Buck Rogers in the 20th century. Oh, yeah. I remember watching that at uh, the, 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 the Gießen Theater uh, in Germany. I mentioned that before. Um, and hey, Gil Gerard, Aaron Gray. Hey, oh. how you doing? Oof. Oh, yeah. You know, um, love Battlestar Galactic. But yeah, I was there. I, I got it. You know, <clears throat> Star Wars set off a trend. Black Hole kind of reinforce it star trek the motion picture kind of like oh yeah okay whatever everything that was coming out i was there yeah absolutely i was there oh yeah it was it was an awesome time to be seven and and liking yeah. space stuff uh yes because everybody was doing space stuff yes and brad was not around yet brad was not around yet um <laughs> d- did you have any other reviews that you wanted to share about this did our did our christian website they did act- not they did not have a review for uh for this film, sadly. Can, can we email them and have them yeah. do a review? Common Sense Common Sense Media, which is kind of like another Christian website. They had one, but it's not as it's not as good. There's no mixed pagan worldview or anything like that. So oh, man. I had to, Yeah. Huh. I'd really it was be like, interested. oh, there's some scary robots in this movie. You might want to talk <laughs> to your kids about scary robots. It's like, all right, okay. Um it's it's funny you bring that up. This was the first PG film for mm-hmm. Disney. Uh, and the reason why it's PG is because they had a few hells and dams in there um, and some scary scenarios. So um, that that was kind of revolutionary for the studio at the time. So, and a conscious decision, right? Yeah, it was. They, they, wanted, they wanted to get more adults in the seats versus kids. So they Absolutely. were like, you know, hey, you know, we'll pull the switcheroo a little bit. Come on in. It's PG. Got a little little cussing 
<laughs> was that the black hole uh, tagline? Come on in. Hey, Disney was making some crazy choices in late seventies going into the early eighties. Uh, and, and you gotta, you know, keep in mind too, that creatively these were all done in house. So yeah. Tron and stuff like that. And, and quite honestly, we wouldn't have Tron without the black hole. If you kind of look at how they started dabbling into like computer effects or, or computers within the films. I mean, the black hole starts with a uh, computer graphics and I'm sure yep. that was blowing everybody's mind. And, you know, just a few years later, what, three years later, we're getting Tron. So, yeah, uh, let's talk about the people behind the screen or behind uh, the camera first. We'll start with director Gary Nelson, 98 directing credits, mostly TV, some film. Uh, it's kind of interesting. He was uncredited as a director for the Sylvester Stallone movie Nighthawks in 1981, <laughs> which if you haven't watched that in a while, go back and revisit that thing. That's that's a super great film. Um, another big success he did for Disney was 1976's Freaky Friday. Uh, but a lot of a lot of his stuff is television. And he worked on some classic series like, you know, Get Smart Gilligan's Island. Um, the screenplay, and we'll talk about the screenplay in the story. Most of the writers worked primarily in television, uh, limited theatrical screenplay listings in their overall filmography. Two people are credited for the screenplay, um, Jerry Day, Jeb Rosebrook, and three people are credited for the story, Jeb Rosebrook, Bob Barbash, and Richard Landau. We're going to talk about the screenplay in the story here in a few minutes when we talk about development and production. Cinematography by Frank V. Phillips. Now, he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Cinematography for The Black Hole. Mm -hmm. So he got a nomination for this. Do you know what film he lost to? This was 1979 mm -hmm. for cinematography? Oh, boy. You, you actually mentioned the film, Brad, out of your top five. I don't remember. <laughs> Tell me what it is. Apocalypse so. Now. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes, makes sense. total okay. sense, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And Frank worked on, uh, again, TV series, a lot of films for Disney. So he's worked on, you know, the Maverick TV series, Hawaii Five-O. But here's some of the films he did for Disney. The Computer War Tennis Shoes, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, The World's Greatest Athlete, Escape to Witch Mountain, which is another classic that I love oh. growing up. Uh, Apple Dumpling Gang. There you go, John. Uh, yes. Gus. Do you remember Gus? Yes. Okay. The Shaggy DA. Pete's Dragon, which I loved Pete's Dragon. My dad hated it. Uh, what? Oh, yeah. He hated the music in that thing. And I oh. I was ecstatic anytime the dragon showed up. Uh, and then Return from Witch Mountain, the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again. The Black Hole, he follows up the Black Hole with Herbie Goes Bananas, another classic. <laughs> and uh, he did cinematography for Brad. I'm, I wrote this down because I'm curious if you've ever seen this film. 1981's Going Ape with Tony Danza and Danny DeVito. Of course I have. <laughs> okay, yes. just making sure. The orangutan film? Oh, so good. <laughs> visual effects. So The Black Hole was nominated for Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Do you know what movie it lost to? Another Star Trek? science fiction <laughs> classic. No. It beat Star Trek. Alien. Oh, oh yeah. That's right. <laughs> yes, yes. 1979, of course. Yes. <laughs> Alien. Yeah. 79, I'm telling you, magical year for science fiction films. Um, we got Peter Ellen Shaw, Art Cruikshank, Eustace Lysett, Danny Lee, Harrison Ellen Shaw, Joe Hale. They were all nominated and worked on this. Um, Peter Ellen Shaw was also the production designer, and he is an Academy Award 
winner for best effects, special visual effects for Mary Poppins from 1964. Okay. The other person to mention behind the scenes is the soundtrack or the score was composed by John Barry. Now John Barry has like 278 soundtrack credits, but the thing you'll know him probably most famous for is the James Bond theme. <laughs> so he started doing the music for James Bond with uh, from Russia with love in 1963. And the classic James Bond theme is, is the brainchild of um, John Barry. Let's talk about the cast. Uh, you've got some pedigree behind the camera, at least in the TV world, right? And also with um, visual effects and uh, John Barry. In front of the camera, there's a lot of pedigree. Okay, you got some bangers here. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, we'll start with Maximilian Schell as Dr. Hans Reinhardt, one of the most successful German-speaking actors in English language films. Now listen to this. Oscar nominee for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Julia, 1977. Oscar nominee for Best Actor in a Leading Role, The Man uh, in the Glass Booth, 1975. Oscar winner for Best Actor in a Leading Role, role Judgment at Nuremberg, 1961. Mm -hmm. So he's, he has some credentials. Um, we move on to Anthony Perkins as Dr. Alex Durant. Oscar nominee for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Friendly Persuasion, 1956. But I think everybody knows him as Norman Bates, right? Yeah. Psycho. It's hard not to see Norman Bates when you see this movie. <laughs> oh, every time you see Anthony Perkins, it's there's Norman, right? Yep. Robert Forster, Captain Dan Holland. Oscar nominee for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for what film, Brad? Brad. Oscar. He was nominated. Come on. Oh, Jackie Brown. Yes, Jackie Brown. Yes, 1997. Sorry. There you go. Um, he passed away in 2019, but we could sit there and talk about Robert Forster and all the films he's been in. I would encourage everybody to check out one of his last credited roles. So he died in 2019. It came out in 2020, but it's called The Wolf of Snow Hollow. It's really good. It's I think you've excellent. mentioned that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's excellent. A good, it's excellent a movie. Good. Where I did, John, you and I watched that together, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. We watched it together um, and it was it, it was it was definitely an experience. It was, man, if you haven't seen it, folks, go watch it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Joseph Bottoms, Lieutenant Charles Pizer. The only thing I remember from this uh, actor was a TV film called The Intruder Within, 1981. Um, it's not very good. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else he's done. Uh, Yvette Mimieu as Dr. Kate McRae. Uh, she was in the time machine from 1960. Yes. Classic, classic oh, movie. Here's, here's, uh, here's an awesome actor. Ernest Borgnine Ernest Bor is Harry yeah. Booth. 211 acting credits with his first credit going back to 1950. He was an Oscar winner for best actor in a leading role for Marty in 1955. But I will forever know him as Dutch from the wild bunch, 1969. Yes, the Wild Bunch, and probably Airwolf too, because he that was, that was kicking. <laughs> yeah, Mikhail's Navy, right? Yeah, yeah, that was good too. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was in the Navy. He was in the Navy, right? That's true. He yeah. was. A, yes, he's a he is a naval uh, graduate. There, he's also married four times. So good for him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. The the darkish robot that goes by Star. Do you remember this in the film? Yes. That Vincent has the shoot off with in the in the shooting gallery. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. That is reject our fader. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's actor Tom McLaughlin. Okay. Um, he's an actor, writer, producer, and director. Now I think this is interesting. That guy in that robot suit went on to write and direct Friday the 13th part six, Jason lives <laughs> and one dark night, I think in 1982, which is another kind of cheesy horror film, um, which isn't bad. That's so random. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Uh, lastly, our, our two robots. Okay. We have Vincent. Does anybody know what Vincent stands for? It's like, Oh, come on. What is it? I wrote it down. Where's my notes? Where's my notes? It's a uh, vital information. Yeah. You're almost there. Necessary. Necessary. Yeah. Centralized. There something. you go. That's Perfect. it. You win. Um, that is voiced by Roddy McDowell. And then we have Bob. What is what does Bob stand for? Biosanitation Battalion. There you oh. go. Voiced by Slim Pickens. Yes. Our cowboy from Dr. Strangelove. Uh, I got to share some of these production and development. So here's the thing. Uh, a lot of people think this movie was created by Disney as a reaction to the success of Star Wars. That's partially true. Everybody was jumping in on the, on the Star Wars train. And what's funny is Disney passed on Star Wars. I mean, Lucas said, hey, let's make this. Disney's like, no way, that's junk. And yep. they, they, Don't worry, they came back around. They came back around. Yeah. So, yeah. But here's the thing. In fact, Disney had been working on this project for a while. You actually have to go back to about 1974. And about that time frame, like what everybody was crazy about was disaster films. Like that mm-hmm. was that was the craze. Was it Poseidon and the Earthquake. Towering Inferno? Towering yeah, Inferno. Earthquake. Yep. Okay. And Earthquake's another one. Yeah. So yep. in the wake of, uh, they had a bunch of different disaster films that were super successful. Poseidon Adventure 72, Towering Inferno 74. Uh, they had a couple of writers who approached the Disney studio executive and said, Hey, we have an idea for a disaster film set in space and we're going to call it space station one. So the project gets shelved because it can't get it off the ground until late 1975 when development resumed on the project, but now it's called space probe one and John Hugh, who had just directed escape to Witch mountain, 1975, was approached to direct the film. Although he liked the premise, he felt the script needed more revisions. So he brought in Summer Arthur Long for an additional rewrite. However, by summer 1976, the production team was still unsatisfied with the script and the audience's interest in the disaster film genre was was on the decline, okay? In October, Ed Coffey was added to rewrite the script and by February 1977, Jeb Rose book was included to restructure the story in which the script was then changed to focus on a small core group of astronauts who would encounter a black hole, which was a phenomenon that had been growing within the scientific community. A lot of discussions. It was hitting, you know, time and all that other stuff. Then a little film comes out May 25th, 1977 star Wars. Okay. So all of a sudden Disney's like, Holy cow. We're working on this project about the black hole and it's supposed to be a disaster film. So it's going to go and get rewritten again. And through these rewrites, it loses um, John Hugh, who was going to actually direct it. And so in December 1977, they pick up Gary Nelson, who had just been nominated for an Emmy on the political miniseries Washington Behind Closed Doors. Now, Nelson read the script. and He's like, nope, not interested. 
So they bring him back to the studio and they say, hey, look at all these miniatures and look at these matte paintings that Ellen Shaw created. And all of a sudden, um, Gary Nelson's like, this looks awesome. I want to direct the film. So Rosebrook finished his final draft in March 1978. But because Disney was still displeased with the script, Gary Day was hired for some script doctoring after scientific research headed by marketing director Martin Rabinovich. The title of the black hole was selected to convey the power and mystique of the film. Okay. There you go. So that's why you've got so many writers and screenplays. This thing had been bouncing back and forth since 1974 star Wars hits. And I'm sure they're like, man, we need cute robots in this thing too. Right. Yeah. With googly eyes. (laughs) Googly eyes. Um, Yeah. My spider sense did go off when I was seeing all those writers at the very beginning of this movie. I was not not giving me a great sign of confidence at the very beginning of this movie, to be perfectly honest with you. Okay. No, that's totally fair. And I mean, this is one of those projects and we talked about this even last week when we talked about Hellboy. I mean, anytime you see this much shuffling now, there's not a lot of drama behind this. I think it was more of just trying to nail down what kind of movie they wanted to do. Yeah. And, and Disney at this point is chasing a fad. The first fad they're chasing is the disaster film. So they're trying to make the Poseidon adventure in space as soon as they go, well, that's not as marketable anymore. And Star Wars hits are like, well, let's just take this thing we were working on and let's add some Star Wars elements to it because everybody's doing it, right? Uh, the visual effects. Now, this is kind of interesting. Although Star Wars in 77 had revolutionized the use of computerized motion control miniature effects, the black hole was shot using a blend of traditional camera techniques and newly developed computer-controlled camera technology. So Disney wanted to rent the equipment from Industrial Light and Magic for their film, but it was unavailable during the film's production and was prohibitively expensive. So in the end, Disney turned to its own engineering department, which created the ACES, the the Automated Camera Effects System, and the computerized system allowed for the camera to take double exposure photographs of the miniature models as it moved convincingly across the matte paintings, right? Um, and then the other thing to keep in mind is the matte paintings. So why it's so significant in this film, just to give you a little, you know, I, I guess context, star Wars had about 15 matte paintings during the production. Okay. And it was a huge hit. So when empire strikes back comes along to go, okay, we're going to, we're going to up to about 85 to 90 matte paintings. The black hole has about 150 matte paintings. Okay. So that is huge for a movie. Um, oh, also well, remember. <clears throat> so, do you know what the connection between those three films were? What's that? Harrison Ellen Shaw. Oh yeah, Ellen Shaw worked on all those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I thought I read that they had all those map paintings, but they didn't use like hardly any of them. I think true. It they made 150. They're they only like somewhere between 10 and 15 were actually in the movie. Yeah. About 10%. I think you see some of them as part of background pieces, but yeah, they they didn't use a whole lot of them. There's some of them that actually make up uh, some of the pictures and stuff in the background too. So Uh, I I think they end up getting, so it's not 150 paintings that they end up photographing, but they end up creating 150 paintings. Um, And what's kind of interesting is they may use that one painting for one shot and then it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I miss I miss like when matte paintings were used in film. I think it's such a cool thing to do. I understand why they don't do it now, but there's some shots I've seen just like breakdowns of special effects. You're like, oh, that's a matte painting and something else. And it looks amazing Uh, when done right. I I think it it really can 
it's just it's amazing that you can make something look so real that it, it fools your eye. Yeah, it was it was a it's a magical art. I think is now kind of lost due to the digital age. Um, you know, because like you said, we all go to the movies and we see some stuff like wait, it, wait, is that a mat? No, that's so real. Oh my god, that is a matte painting. You know, yeah, it, it, it's amazing. So. Uh, I thought I thought this was kind of interesting. In 2014, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson deemed the film to be the least scientifically accurate movie of all time. Criticizing the film, he noted they not only got none of the physics right about falling into a black hole, had they gotten it right, it would have been a vastly more interesting movie. So. And was go. he talking about himself or the movie? Mm. <laughs> well, that's that guy does suck. So up for debate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, now star Wars, one, one of the things everybody kind of knows about star Wars is it's toy line and everything that kind of came out after the film, the black hole was no different. It had action figures, um, Disney push like storybooks, all that stuff. Uh, coinciding with the film's release, Alan Dean Foster wrote a novelization based on the film uh, I, I actually finished that over the weekend. It's it's pretty much the movie except for the end. And we'll talk about that. And then the other thing which I think is kind of fascinating, and we talked about this when we talked about Hellboy and comic books, is a separate comic book adaption of the film published by Whitman Comics in 1980. It, basically, there were four issues that were published in the U.S. The first two issues are just a recreation of the film. And then issue three and four are kind of what happens after the movie. Uh, and issue four of that sucker goes for a lot of money. It's really hard to find. Um, and I think I was sharing with you guys um, some examples of a, what, what was that one graded? An 8.5? It was professionally graded 8.5 and it went for- Almost a seven, I believe. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was a seven. seven. It went seven. for 2,000 something dollars. Yeah, I, I went ahead and bought it. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I'll, I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, not for you. Merry for Christmas. Uh, do I say that now or <laughs> um, I now I don't know if this is true, but I also read that there was an issue five and six planned because four yes. lives um, ends on a cliffhanger yes. and five and six were released uh, in Mexico. Mexico. I, yeah, that was the only country that got those ones. Um, and, and we'll talk about the book and the comic book adaption when we discuss the ending, cause we've got to discuss the ending of this film. Um, so there we go. All right. So what I've been waiting for, for a while, uh, since revisiting this film is Brad, your take on this, because a couple of things, I know seven year old Troy is just <laughs> automatically going to be offended by any criticism you have of this film. And I'm going to throw a tantrum. So let's just get that out of the way. Right. Okay. Um, I've got my juice box right here and I'm going to try and, uh, cause I, 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 you know, Brad's a blade runner guy. This is not blade runner. This is a Disney interpretation of a disaster film, but I'm really, I'm really curious, Brad, what, what you think of the black hole? So I, like I said, we, we turn it on and there's a two minute, like, you know, overture going on and, and I'm totally fine with that. And I'm totally fine with slow paced, um, science fiction, um, there are some cool uh, gravity shots or anti-gravity shots. Um, you know, somebody watched 2001 for a little bit. Uh, someone saw Star Wars, obviously, and decided that they were going to do something with a little bit more disaster involved. Um, 
And, you know, the first half an hour is people kind of getting stuck in a black hole and then having to crash, kind of crash land, I guess you could say, onto another ship. Then there's about 30 minutes of them talking and discovering something is going on with the ship. And then there's like a 30 minute escape sequence, right? So those are your three acts right there. Yep. Um, and, and I'll have to say, boy, this one was rough, Troy. <laughs> uh, man, it is. I like deliberately paced stuff. Like I like you said, I like Blade Runner. Blade Runner is not the fastest paced movie you'll ever see. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 is a three hour movie. That's pretty slow. Um, and I, I appreciate that. I appreciate movies taking their time, building worlds, building characters. But this one, not so much. It was uh, really hard to kind of engage with this movie. Um, I didn't like really any of the characters. The Reinhardt guy does feel like a pretty okay villain, I guess. But then, like, there's these knockoff stormtroopers, and then there's a knockoff um, Darth Vader that have no purpose, really. Um, there's They play games of, like, shooting targets, and that's how they dispose of one of the big bads. There's a Maximilian character as well, robot, that is pretty laughable, I, I would say. He's supposed to be menacing, but not really. Um, and of course there's droids and, and those are supposed to be, you know, your C-3PO, R2-D2 uh, stand-ins. And I think maybe Vincent might be the best part of the movie, but he's got googly eyes and it's hard to take <laughs> a, a robot with googly eyes seriously. Um, but boy, this thing, it's an hour and 40 minutes and it doesn't really hurry to get there. And I, I think that's really hard uh to to because i because you know what this movie is called the black hole right so at some point in time you know they're going to go through that black hole i'm like just get through the black hole get through the black hole and then like there is some weird stuff that goes on like the guy gets pulled out into space and he's totally fine and then goes right back in i mean there's like this total disconnect to how space works like oh yeah to- like, there's there's like, no yes, real yes. science in this thing at all Neil deGrasse yeah. Tyson is a dick but he was right like this movie <laughs> is scientifically impossible um you know they they fly their ship at the very beginning somewhat close to the black hole and it gets messed up they're like parked right next to this black hole for a long time and they kind of use an escape pod and then the only reason they can't escape the black hole is because it was programmed to follow the other ship, which doesn't make any sense. Why would you have an escape pod do that? I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I kind of hated this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Troy. It's so slow. And again, I can put up with slow movies. Hell, I like the green Knight, and that's a really slow movie, but uh, this is just not really that interesting. Um, I, I wish I wish something in this movie would happen besides, hey, we're getting sucked through a black hole. But that's really kind of it. Well, sorry, man. No, no, that's you're dumb and your opinion doesn't matter. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I'm watching this again uh, and I'm having a blast watching it again because it feels like you're just having like a kid memory. 
Yeah. And, and again, I, I, I said at the top, this is seven-year-old Troy looking at it. Um, and we'll always look at this film in that way. I would 100% agree with your take on it because I think it for somebody who didn't live at this time period. Uh, and I would also say somebody experiencing this, I don't care how big your TV is. It, it would be hard to get into. And I think it's also hard to get into if you don't have appreciation um, for some fifties or, or sixties haunted house films. Yeah. And like I saw, like I've seen all the star Wars films before this movie. So yeah. it's kind of hard to think, go back to something kind of playing off of those, I wouldn't say tropes, but kind of mimicking what those movies were doing, especially the first one. And you're like, Oh no, like this is way worse than a new hope. Oh yeah. 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 I, I totally get it. Um, John. So uh, I'm curious about your take on it because I think I know how you feel about this film just because I, I think uh, guys, especially of our age, who grew up with this thing have a little bit of a soft spot for it, but I, I could be totally wrong about this. So what's your take on it? Um, so Brad is wrong again. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, in all fairness, it, it, it does go back to the nostalgia factor. I, I mean, watch it the other night and you're, you're right. You know, kind of going back to when I was a kid first saw it on TV and then remember going back to the theater and watching it and getting it totally, new appreciation for it and then now as as an adult <clears throat> watching what they were trying to accomplish with it granted it, it falls short from what they were trying to do there, it, there were so many blends of stories that they were trying to try to put together that i think they lost focus a couple times i mean you had you know twenty thousand under leagues under the sea you had uh you know a little earthquake uh, towering inferno disaster uh going on you had some of the campiness from like buck rogers just all kinds of different things going on but again uh, pushing that all aside and and going back as a kid or, or you know as a you know 40 plus year old kid i still enjoyed it to the to the point of i i still can't believe well not the story and how some of the characters could probably you know stand up to today. Um, you know, they didn't age that well, but just appreciating the visuals um, that they put into the movie and just how did they pull that off back then, knowing what I could whip up in like a 30 minutes and an hour on my laptop right now. Well, they got it out of George Lucas's <clears throat> trash can. <laughs> yeah. Oh, ouch. <laughs> yeah. When he stormed out of the office, he's like, fine, be that way. <laughs> Taking my toys elsewhere. <laughs> Yep. You know, but you know, from the matte paintings to understanding how they and I, I will tell you there there was some impressioning, you know, as a kid, because so so the yeah, the, the little you know, fake stormtroopers, you know, they're they're dual barreled pistols. Myself, my brother, my cousin, we, we used to take our Legos and rebuild those and go around and play like those were our weapons. Yep. Right? Did the same thing. Yep. Every exactly, kid did right? that with Legos. Yep. And the, I haven't met too many people that have seen it. The Cygnus, the ship itself. I was in awe of that ship and watching it, you know, I, I did watch it like four times this week. It was, I just enjoyed it. Um, 
to this day, just looking at how they put that to, shit did together. Did you need to get in a good nap? Is that why you had to watch four times? Hey, he didn't I, say he know? watched The Green Knight. He said he was watching <laughs> The Black Hole. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I, I just love that ship. I, I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's something that I could see that if we ever are, a, as a race, you know, put our stupid shit aside and really work together, I could see that being kind of like a prototype of what we could achieve to get out there. You know what I mean? Oh, and fun fact, you know why it was named the Cygnus? Is that a constellation? Yeah, but do you know why that's important? No. That's where they, they uh, the scientists, I think you mentioned it earlier, Troy, um, that's where they started detecting some signs of the very first black hole. Oh, okay. Well, that makes total sense. All right. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, getting back to the Cygnus, uh, the Palomino, um, Vincent, Bob, and, you know, of course, and I, you know, I showed you what I picked up maximilian yeah that's so cool (laughs) (laughs) um maximilian back then was just he was just unlike anything i had like really truly seen i mean yeah star wars you had your droids and all that good stuff but maximilian this big red you know just hulking thing that had his uh people shredder hands um or or his his version of his jazz hands um going off It, it was just incredible um the cast Geez, there's there's just so much to say about the cast because you know growing up seeing them and every little bit of things you know um, again you met me Mew, time machine me and my buddy Mike you know growing up we used to watch it all the time Anthony Perkins yeah Robert Forrester um, Roddy McDowell even though he was the voice you know you've seen him everywhere and Slim Pickens even though <laughs> he's not credited in the film don't know why that didn't happen. Um, but you know, his voice is slim pickings, you know, major King Kong, as you said, from Dr. Strange love, mm-hmm. um, he just stood out and just Maximilian shell is just, he was just back then. If you knew like who, who were the biggest actors back then, you know, even as a kid, you knew who Maximilian shell was, you know, just like Max von Sydow, right. They, they were just the big names, but you know, going, but you know, I digress. Black Hole still holds a special place in my heart. I wish it could have aged um, a little bit better than what it did. Um, but even though it hasn't, I, I still loved it. I still enjoyed it. I still had fun with it. I still giggled and laughed. And yes, I was asked answering my daughter's questions when she was asking some of the stupidest questions. Like, can people really breathe in space? I'm like, no, baby, go shut up and do your homework. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, um, it, it, John, I, to her defense, on her defense, I saw that like 84% of the, the yeah. U.S. population only believes the earth is round. Oh, so that wow. means 16% of the people think the earth is flat. So, you know, or have yeah. their doubts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she tried, I, I can understand. And that's what was kind of like a reality check to, you know, again, my daughter walked in when I was watching it and she, she was trying to watch the scene and she immediately fell asleep. Well, <laughs> if she did, she's a good stander upper when she sleeps. But you know, you know, her questions that made me realize, yeah, this doesn't really kind of hold up well. Versus when she caught me watching crawl, and then you know, her first thing was, "Oh my god, is that the weapon in in, in Ready Player One?" I'm like, "No, Ready Player One has the weapon from this movie." So come on, um, but that's where again, it just shows that even though nostalgia plays a huge part in in my honest opinion, you know, you enjoying this movie 
I think if you gave it a fair shake and again, transported yourself kind of to when it was released, you could see what they were going for. And I think actually have you know a pretty good appreciation for what Disney was trying to do compared to a lot of the crap they're doing today. Well, hell's filled with a lot of people with good intentions, John. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, I, I got an important question, Sean, before you go. Yeah. Dr. Cape sleeping with all these dudes on that ship. Uh, like, I don't think uh, she, I, I think Vincent was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I mean, Vincent yeah, was. As long as some people were, you know, getting some, there yeah. didn't look like to be a whole lot of privacy on that. Uh, so no, that's true. Yeah, that's that's and that's yeah. That was they one of the banging one, in front of everybody. Like, <laughs> well, that was that was one of the questions my daughter actually asked. Like, how? Like, is that a starship? I'm like, no, it's a little space probe. That they've been up there for 500 days or something. Yeah, I think yeah. is what they say in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so here's the thing. I I would love to say that um, I can only review this thing from the concept of nostalgia. But here's but when I watched it again the other night, I actually think it is a good film. And I'm gonna try and make the case for that. I think the first problem people make is walking into this film with the notion and, and even if you know the history of it and say, well, it's a it's a hodgepodge of Star Wars disaster films, all this other stuff. I think if you go into it and say, okay, this is a William Castle film set in space it actually is a bit more digestible for a newcomer versus somebody who discovered it in the late 70s i mean this movie is more of a love child between 13 ghosts from 1960 the william castle film and the poseidon adventure if you were to put those two films together you would get the black hole uh throw in some cool robots and kind of grab the star wars crowd and you basically just have a classic space adventure with a hint of horror elements. And it's those horror elements that I think kind of make this a gateway drug to horror films and even other genres because they're there. Um, but I, I want to get the negatives out of the way. And you, you've touched on this a little bit, Brad, the performances are pretty wooden. Um, actually Vincent is probably the most complex character and that's not very complex. Everybody else is just playing to the stereotype right? Ernest Borgnine looks like he's looking for a bathroom anytime he's, you know, in a scene. <laughs> um, I think Anthony Perkins is wants to bang Maximilian. <laughs> I mean, he's <laughs> fascinated. With he's that robot. so fascinated, you know, he's but, like, um, Hey, Dr. Reinhardt, is there a sex hole in that robot? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And that's, but everybody's playing to a stereotype, right? Even Robert Forster is just, I'm, I'm the calm, cool, collected captain. We're going to do this stuff. Uh, the other thing is it is a disaster film first and foremost with that William Castle tinge in it. So the middle part is, is going to grind to a halt. So you can hear some seventies TV style dialogue and drama. So to your point, Brad, you've really got three acts. You got the, the introduction and the, them discovering the black hole and the, the big spaceship that's been lost. Mm -hmm. You get the setup and the exploration of the spaceship, and then you get the, the big action sequence at the end, right? Um, and there's just a lot of debating and exposition in the middle, the, the script at, I, I mean, the script is an hour long star Trek episode drawn out to a full film. The dialogue is a little corny. The concepts within the film are more interesting than I think the overall story. But again, I think it's a William castle horror disaster film. 
I, I mean, the, the script is really weak, man. It, it is. I, I totally yeah. agree with you. Um, and the ending is bonkers. I don't know if it's even an ending, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. We're, we're going to debate that. Here's why it's a good film. First of all, and John, you talked about it's the visual effects. I think for 1979 and for 2022, the visual effects and matte paintings specifically are really impressive. There's an artistic interpretation to the science going on versus like a representation of science or space. It's an interpretation of it. As a kid, it felt really otherworldly. And as an adult, it feels otherworldly, but some of the sequences look like art. And the sequence I want to kind of talk about specifically is the control room sequence. So when they're stepping out of the elevator and they see the control room, I think it's breathtaking because you get these different layers of computers, lights, terminals. You've got a full view of the black hole in the background just swirling. You got human robots on the scaffolding working on these like holographic planets. And you get just this gorgeous shot, which I don't know how many map paintings are there, but it's a composition of just different paintings, um, different special effects with actors, and it looks awesome. It looks really cool. And there are several sequences like that that I think is is amazing. And, and that leads to the model work. It's top notch. Um, the, the spaceship, it's a unique ship, right? When we talked about Event Horizon, I mean, I think movies of this type are good when the ships and everything have its own unique identity. So they're going for that Gothic architecture and stuff within the event horizon. I, I liked it. Right. Um, in this one, I think the, the Cygnus Cygnus, excuse me. Um, it has a unique look to it. It's something you haven't seen before. It has scale and it looks awesome when it's all lit up against sort of the blue blackish, background of space in the black hole. I, I love those shots of it. Um, Maximilian, yes, is a love child between Darth Vader and the Cylon. Totally get that. <laughs> um, but I love the look of him. I love Vincent and Bob. I think the design is interesting and the personalities that voice them are interesting. I thought this was kind of cool because in some of the sequences, I couldn't figure out why you couldn't see the wires above Vincent and Bob in their scenes. Come to find out what they ended up doing was they would build the sets to where everything was upside down. They would hang Vincent and Bob upside down and shoot it that way. So if you go back, you can see the wires underneath them. And the reason why they did that is everybody's looking for wires above. And when they're not there, they don't look underneath. So mm. they knew that. Uh, and I thought that was really cool. Um, the sequence that to my in my brain today that was just burned in there. The minute I saw it in that 70 millimeter was the meteorite coming down the big corridor, just taking out the ship and yeah. they're running across the scaffolding and they fall well, they run to the, they run to the side of it. Yeah. To the side of it. Um, it's so cool. It makes no sense. They would have been like sucked out into space. Yep. But again, I think what makes the special effects and the visual effects so special is it's an interpretation of science and it pulls it off and it draws you in. And that sequence just looks great. I mean, I'm sure when yeah. they're filming it, they're like, this makes no sense in the context that like if NASA were to walk on and be like, well, that's not how that works, but I'm sure yeah, they're looking sure, at it and going, they, it's, it looks exciting. They call this movie the black, uh, the black hole, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's you it, can't ignore science and call your movie the black hole. I think you can, 
And I think yes, it's a lot of fun when you do it's it. It's a scientific phenomenon. Like, I, yeah, no, it? I, again, I, but it? see, I think, I think Black that's are like scientifically proven and we've seen them. We know they exist, but have they, I mean, how do we know it's not some alien there who just flipped, uh, turned the light switch off. I mean, how do you know? <laughs> okay, <Joe>. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, but I mean, that, that's a good point, Brad. If you're going into this film and looking for like a, an adventure, that's like film, calling your movie math and then saying, in the movie, you're saying two plus three is seven. You're like, well, that's not right. Like, I, I think that's an apples and oranges comparison. I think what they're doing is they're it's science fiction. It's the combination of science and turning it into fiction. I mean, think about some of the concepts in the film. You've got ESP with robots. How the hell yeah. does telekinetic, just anything telekinetic work with an inanimate object, but you buy well, it. And I think it's a cool concept. Well, because well, Obi-Wan yeah. did it. Well, not just that, but back then they, they, it was the early designs for what we now know as today as 5G. So, <laughs> 5G. <laughs> but, I, but I guess, and this is okay, this is not fair because this is a like modern film that kind of does the same thing in this movie. In the interstellar, right? They go through the black hole. Yeah. And they like painstakingly make it like as scientifically correct as possible. Now we didn't know as much as we know now in 1979, but we also knew in 1979 that you just can't walk out into space and be fine. Again, I think those are, so I'm not nerdy enough nor educated enough to even look at a science fiction films genre and then do subgenres and go, this is the hard science, you know, like silent running um, or interstellar or something else of that nature. It, it boggles my mind that people will look at the first Star Wars, A New Hope, and consider that a classic, but yet every scientific concept in that thing, it, it's pure science fiction. But it, it, it says at the very beginning, in a galaxy far, far away, we're not playing in the same rules. I think that just because you have a title card in front <laughs> of your movie, yeah. it, it all comes down to, like, for me... The thing that annoys me the most about a film is when it creates its own internal logic and then doesn't obey it. So if you can create this world and create all these rules and everything else, but the minute you start breaking them, then it just takes me out of it, right? If you create this world, this science fiction, and you at least stick to it. We talked about this with John Carter of Mars, right? Or John Carter. I really enjoyed that film, but I, I, do understand it's got some faults, but the thing I appreciate about it is it has all these rules and it sticks to them. Mm-hmm. Even though the science in that is just fooey as well. And and to me, the black hole, if you look at the concepts, I like the concepts. I like the ESP with robots, the null gravity bubble, um, turning humans into living robots. I mean, that's, that's, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, but they, they mentioned earth and it's like, well, okay. So if earth exists in this universe, then we're playing in the same universal rules right but we're not and and i guess that's okay i'm just saying we're we're dabbling in some stuff with the black hole and how it's you know we don't know what's on the other side blah 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 We're, we're we're saying some scientific things and then we're just being so amateurish with certain aspects of like the the little that we know about space back in 1979. I just see, like, I think that's, that's unfair. I don't, I don't think it's amateurish at all. I, I think it comes down to a creative choice. 
it, I don't think yeah. Disney was looking at this and going, we're going to create something so scientifically accurate that people are going to learn something out of this film. They went for a straight adventure ride. I mean, at, I mean they even yeah. mentioned like the event horizon that is said yeah. in this movie. Yeah. It's so, so it wasn't like they didn't, I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you're I, right. I, I mean, to, right. a, to a point, I do agree with Brad in a little bit, you know, being the adult, but as the kid, I can appreciate it because, you know, so one of the interesting things, not many people knew that um, when they were, you know, get, gearing up for shooting the black hole, um, Stephen Hawking's, they were going to use him as a consultant to get that scientific aspect for it. But the, the timing just never worked out. So it would have been interesting to see kind of like his, his input into the film, but at the same time, Again, science fiction, fiction being the key word is, hey, you got to you gotta suspend some belief, you know, and, and the only science fiction movie or show that I think has really come the closest to obeying a lot of the laws of space. It was uh, you know, Battlestar Galactica, the 2004 series, because um, you know, they're flying in space, they're shooting in space, but you don't really hear anything, right? Because there's no sound in space, you know, all that kind of good stuff. So in a point I do agree as an adult, but as a kid, it's like, you know what? Eh, I saw a lightsaber. If that's possible, so is this. Well, I, I I think it helps at least in my head that there's enough horror elements in it. So you get the lobotomized crew that look like zombies when the mask is revealed, right? Maximilian, regardless of what you think, Brad, I, I think it's a great memorable villain and I think it's creepy as hell I mean, I, I love the sequence when him and Vincent go at it and they're kind of fighting uh, towards the end. And then all of a sudden, Vincent takes him out with this little saw and you hear this robot screaming and it's this really creepy scream. Um, and I, I find it unsettling today. Uh, Hans Reinhardt, I mean, that's Dr. Frankenstein. It, it's just the guy's super creepy and he's going for the evil genius, but he's dressed in red too. And they're always making these comments about you know, um, Dante's Inferno, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony Perkins death. I, he, I appreciate this sequence so much for a PG film because they basically show Max's blades tear into the book and you know how dangerous those blades are and what it's going to do to anything that it touches. And then the camera cuts away as the blades go into Perkins and you see his reaction and just from what you saw happen to the book, you know exactly what's happening to his torso and everything else. I thought I thought that was great filmmaking um, in terms of the horror genre, and and it's a great way to let yeah, the check, audience check off spinning blades. We got it. Yeah, but it's a great way to let the audience's imagination provide the gory details versus you do it by just showing what's happening to that book, right? Yep. And then you get this entire hell sequence in the black hole. <laughs> Makes no sense, but. If you actually, I watched that sequence a couple times. I'm like, those those things that are walking. It looks like out of some something out of Don Coscarelli's uh, Phantasm, almost, but just uh, in he hell. Went to, I mean, he's basically in purgatory. Like he's Dante's Inferno there. He's in purgatory. Yeah, and and it's it's these concepts that as a kid you're going, holy he's like cow! In the that's seventh circle of hell. Yeah, it's so creepy. But I was just surprised on how much of these horror-like elements are through the film. And I again, I think it's another genre that horror has no science to it when you're talking about possessions and, and boogeymen and you know Frankenstein, all of that stuff. Science is out the door, right? Reanimating bodies. 
But again, it's another example of them taking the science and creating sort of a genre uh, film out of some basic science and then just kind of throwing the book, the textbook out the door and just going, this is how we want science to work in this world. And it adds to the horror elements. And, and I like that aspect of it. Um, I think it also helps that they have a lot of Bible references in there too. Um, because again, they're dealing with something a little bit more metaphysical than scientific. And I think that adds to the art of it. However, um, I do think it's kind of funny that this is a Disney film that has that stuff because I don't think any of those elements would be in a Disney film today. Any of the religious concepts. Again, not saying that's good or bad. I just think it's it's very interesting what they were putting out in the late 70s versus what comes out now. Um, but I want to talk about the ending for a minute. Yes. Can we talk about this ending? Yeah. So they didn't have an ending uh, when they started filming. And uh, John, do you want to kind of talk about the the comic book adaptation. Did you read those? Do you, do you know how it ends in the comic book and what happens? Uh, I have not honestly. Okay. I, I never picked those up. So once they go through the black hole uh, in the comics, you, you basically only have um, three characters and Vincent left, right? So they go through the black hole and you're left with um, Dan, uh, Pizer, Kate and Vincent they encounter a version of themselves in the other universe, as well as Maximilian shell, um, or excuse me, as well as Dr. Reinhardt, Maximilian, everybody else. So they end up going into a multiverse and then getting captured by Reinhardt again. And then they escape from that. And Andrew Garfield's there. Yes. And Toby McGuire's there. Yes, too. The whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And then they go to another planet um, trying to escape and uh, Reinhardt and Maximilian are chasing him to that planet and then it ends in a cliffhanger. I don't know issue five or six, but the comic book introduces this whole multiverse aspect that once they go to the black hole, they end up in another universe and run across themselves and the people that just died. So it's kind of cool in the book that (laughs) Alan Dean Foster wrote the end when they go into the black hole, it's like two pages. And basically it says all their bodies and everything are being torn apart from, you know, what's happening in the black hole. But Kate's ESP, she contacts everybody, including the robot, uh, Vincent, and they're able to merge their minds together. And when they come out on the other side of the black hole, they're all one collective mind now. And so they start exploring the rest of the cosmos. It's really trippy. Both of those are better than this ending. <laughs> well, this okay, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So, first off, I need to know if there's a multiverse and you run into yourself, are you having sex with yourself just to see what it's like? Oh, as dreamy as I am, heck yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, I'll fuck myself. That's fine. Um, <laughs> now we got that I've been out told of the to way. do that all my life, right? So why not just isolate that piece of audio there, Troy? Um, <clears throat> So both Reinhardt and the other in the good and our good guys would we'll just say our, our good guys, they go through the same black hole, correct? Yes. Why the hell did they go to two different places? It, it's it's I don't have an answer for I I think it comes down to this. I think they borrow heavily from 2001 and are trying to create something metaphysical. Be- mm-hmm. Because, again, there's religious undertones. They 
it, yeah, he goes to hell. He essentially goes. To he hell. goes to hell. They are guided by some angel. Yeah, and they end, yep. they end up in another universe, and you see another planet. It's it's not Earth. It's something something else, right? Um, but it's it's a nonsensical ending that I think at the end of the day they didn't know how to stick the landing. Well, yeah, because they even have like that kind of pearly gated door, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's if <laughs> I can't defend the ending, but I could sit here and say, well, they're dead. One went to hell. They went mm-hmm. to heaven. That's kind of how I interpreted it. It, yeah. it killed them. They went to heaven. He went to hell. You could also say, hey, they, because they're alive and they're good nature and the metaphysics, you know, God exists. They ended up in another universe and it. I think that's kind of what's happening based on the comics and where they were going with it. But I don't know. I, I think you could easily say, well, it's a 2001. Um, it's the dollar general store version of 2001. Yeah. And I would say, well, that that's pretty accurate, but man, that hell sequence, dude, it's, it's creepy. I've seen some Mondo in, posters and like, stuff. He gets like the uh, Maximilian's like, he, I guess he rips out all the, the innards of Maximilian and he's stuck in inside him of the yeah. armor, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of horrifying. It, it is. That was like my favorite part is, was the hell sequence that lasted a minute, but it was somewhat cool. That's the best part of the movie for me. Well, again, that's dumb and you're wrong, but mm. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> again, the seven year old Troy, he's reacting. I apologize. I'd, yeah. I'll get a juice box and calm down here in a minute. <laughs> seven year old Troy's going to have to go sit in the corner and be in timeout for a little bit. Shut it. Shut it, man. I don't know. What do you think about the ending, John? Um, I, so having watched it again, you know, this, this past week, it, it kind of had me feeling the exact same way as when I first saw it. It's like, it has you question a lot of things, right? Like we know what's supposed to happen when you go into a black hole, right? Crushing forces, you get torn apart, torn apart. Um, but then it really has you question, well, you know, yeah. Did they live? Did they really live? Okay. Wait, maybe there is a hell. Maybe there's a heaven. And maybe that's where, you know, happens. If you try to live a good life, that's what happens. I couldn't, Maybe that was the whole purpose of why they said, you know what, we're going to let people see the ending that we're going to come up with. And then they, you know, debate a little bit about it. I mean, yeah. I mean, they foreshadowed it, you know, a couple of times Dante's Inferno. I mean, that's what we got. Yeah. Right. And, it, and you're right. It, it was a very, very creepy shot. I mean, you know, Maximilian with his arms raised up in the air. I didn't know if he was getting arrested or if he's just trying to lower it over hell or something like that. Um, the tunnel sequence. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, you know, when I, <laughs> I watched that this week, the first thing that popped in my mind was, am I going to see box at the end of this, you know, box from the Logan's run? Oh, that's yeah. what kind of that silver yeah. metallic thing kind of reminded me of. Mm. Um, and then, so, and this was kind of like a debate. I actually, uh, remember having with a couple of friends, right? We, we see this, is it an astral projection? Or is it an angel that's leading them through? You know, it, it's I, it hard ha- to, I don't it's know. Hard. I, I, could, I think by default, you can you can <laughs> you can argue with me, but I I think if they start with a hell sequence, then by default, the imagery has to elude that it, it's an angel because oh, it's yeah. in a cathedral I mean, arch that mm-hmm. they're going through, et cetera. Right. 
Right. You know, and that's what I'm saying is because, uh, you know, the ending, well, number one, the movie was creating a lot of controversy, you know, because it, it wasn't the traditional family oriented Disney movie and, and they were getting a lot of, you know, uh, blowback from it, you know, so maybe that's why the ending was what it is, you know here's hell. This is what happens. If you're bad, you're going to go to hell. And if you do good, this is where you're going to go. You're going to go to heaven. And maybe they're trying to do that to appease them. Um, When it's all said and done, it does play into a theory that, you know, even though there's infinite, you know, gravity is actually to the center of a black hole. What happens when you get to that center? Well, eventually you should get thrown out, right? It's a two way street, right? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Right, that's like folding uh, a piece of paper, John. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's interesting you Damn mentioned that because you mentioned event. <laughs> you you mentioned Event Horizon. I do agree with you. This movie was. I do remember having some chills watching it. You know, especially from the crew, um, because that's that's just that's just not right. You know, that's just not right. And the movie Event Horizon. Well, if you think about it, maybe that's a modern spin on the black hole. I mean, here's a ship that oh yes. went through a point of singularity. Right. They happened to pick where Maximilian, uh, you know, shell, you know. Dr. Reinhardt went, they paid him a visit, they came back, and yeah, you know, we saw the, how the rest of that played out. But could it have been better? Yeah, it, it actually could have. But to me, I think it did what it was supposed to do, right? It it left it left a visual impression of you know what what plays out, good versus evil, in that sense. It, it doesn't make too much sense for a science fiction movie. But again, visually, um, I definitely appreciated the Dante's Inferno scene a lot more than uh, there's a little Vaseline gel on the camera lens and, oh, there's a new planet and there's no dialogue. We're just missing missing St. Peter here, but hey. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, but but if you think about it, right, what, what other ending could you come up with outside of? Well, they came up with two other endings that were way better than what we got. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, Um, I I don't know how you actually put the the Alan Dean Foster novel into an ending. Um, I I mean, it's just crazy that there was an interview with him that basically said within the novel, he had to go back and add some explanation as to how things worked. So take, for example, the ESP in the book, they go into detail that Kate actually had a surgery where there's an implant on her brain that allows her to talk with robots. Yeah, they shouldn't call it ESP. Like she's just got like a chip in her brain that allows her to communicate with, with robots. Robots don't really have like a brain. So like it's again, I think it's one of those, if you're talking the um, language of cinema and trying to say, well, instead of creating this whole backstory of surgery with chips, let's just call it ESP. And she has ESP with machines because people understand that's just telekinesis. Well, it is a scientific term, right? Electronic signal processing. Yeah, I mean ESP. But but I think the the common viewer just goes, "Oh, I know what that is." You're sharing thoughts. I thought like it was extra sensory perception. Perception. Yeah, you're right. I'm just making up shit, but that's what I'm going with. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's the whole thing. If if you make it up and go, this is what it stands for. I mean. When you when you look at the Vincent and Bob, I mean, come on, you're really stretching to get those names out of the the. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, like vital information necessary. Is it though? Yeah, and I I don't even know if I I mean it shouldn't that be a vent? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so they're taking some liberties, but again, 
it, it's just the aesthetics of it. I think this is one of those films and, and probably the best way to describe it is you, you really like event horizon, right, Brad? Yeah. I, I appreciate that film. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think if you were to take a step back and look at it critically and all this other stuff, it may get some of the science right, but because it lives within this horror aesthetic, mm-hmm. you forgive a ton of stuff in that thing, especially like some of the, the damage that happens to, to them. Well, and yeah, they're but walking Dr. Away. Weir, he pokes that pencil. Yeah. 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 yeah I know. And I, he explains it perfectly. I get it. So as soon as he yep. pokes the pokes, the pen yeah. through the paper, you're like, I'm in this totally yep. makes sense to me, but it's that horror aesthetic that is on display that allows you to, in essence, go, well, we're dealing with the supernatural. So as events unfold, it blurs the line between science and horror. Right. Mm-hmm. I and, think, that's, and for the black hole, though, it takes it even a step further. I mean, beyond the supernatural and, and like that you know, zombie type, you know, horror effect. I mean, you're in space. What do you do when a media storm just just totally starts ripping your, your ship apart? Right. That's a whole new level of terror that you got to deal with. And I think they were. They, was, I that think, the, was that was that was that that was supposed to be? Uh, yeah, I guess they did say it was a. It's a meteorite yeah, storm. Yeah, yeah, meteor, yeah, meteorite storm. I, I mean, so that's like a whole new level of terror. So you're right; they're adding, like you said, not only like the horror supernatural aspect to it, you know, but now there's the real disaster effect to it, right? And, and in the sense, you're trying to enjoy it as a kid, and you're like, man, that's a lot of crap they're going through. What the hell? Yeah, but I think right. it goes down to the aesthetic too. As an adult, right. you're going to latch on to can you can you buy into the world? Can you buy into the art that's on display knowing that the science is going to be wonky? And so you may say, well, the title card of Star Wars just gives me full liberty. Great, got it. Oh, Event Horizon, it's a horror film. Well, wow, science doesn't matter because it's a horror film. Got it. I, I think the same, um, I don't know what you call pass or or the same view yeah, yeah it should be applied to the black hole in it but in a william william castle fashion because if, if you've revisited like his films the tingler 13 ghosts tingler's a great example like okay that that shit doesn't there's no way something is crawling up and down your spine right so there's i would probably <laughs> be way more forgiving if i wasn't so bored and had to think about that stuff i i think the problem was i was so bored i was just thinking about how illogical 95 percent of this movie age and that's fair it's it's a super slow well i don't even think it's a slow burn i think no, I, I think the beginning has a lot of stuff going on i think the end definitely has a lot of stuff going on to the point where you're like what the hell's going on that middle part it it slogs but i think that's that's because you have tv writers mm-hmm. creating a script for film and so you get into these philosophical debates and etc but I, I would even go so far as to say it's not that much different than a universal monster film from the thirties and forties in terms of dialogue, honestly. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. And if you watch, I mean, and that, maybe that's part of the disconnect too. I mean, and this is just a stretch. Like, you know, if you look back at a lot of the other live action Disney movies back then, right. I mean, it, it follows kind of like the same formula, right? There's three acts and then you close it out, right? There's not yeah. a whole lot of, a whole lot of, you know, interpersonal character development or world building going on. It's just like, here's the story as, as we're going to tell it from this, you know, starting point and here's the end point. And it, it, it goes through. And that's where, especially, you know, we keep going back to it, the visuals of 
the black hole. I mean, even though it's it's there are some just stunningly gorgeous shots. I truly appreciate the effort that they put into it. Right in the end, when you start looking at it, you you see right away, bang! This is a Disney film, even though there's yeah. no Disney logo on it. They call it the black hole, but there's blue in it. Yeah, <laughs> well, and then red. There's a little bit right. of black right in the center. Yeah, yeah. right in the center is black. It's black. Yeah, it's that little alien who turned the light switch off. Yep. Uh, yeah, I do. I I will say this. Um, I watched some of it on DVD and, and uh, or on Blu-ray. I was trying to go back through the old formats <laughs> on on DVD. I actually think it it has a um, aesthetic or charm with a little bit more grain that it looks mm-hmm. good on Blu-ray, especially in the beginning. All I see is Ernest Borgnine on two wires, like flipping around. Yep. <laughs> so I believe the anti-gravity in the DVD. I don't buy it in the Blu-ray version because it looks too good. Right. And isn't it odd? I mean, I don't know if you guys picked it up and, you know, I write, I noticed it when I was a kid too, like, you know, all the shots where it's, <clears throat> you know, they're floating, they're flipping or the whole ship is turning and flipping. Vincent is in the background. Oh, he's, he's still <laughs> in the same position, right? Yeah. Everything is rotating around him. I always thought that was a pretty cool concept. I'm wondering how many folks really picked that up. I, I don't care what you say. I love the design. I love googly eye robots like Vincent and Bob. I, I think they're cool. I like everything yeah, I, they did with Vincent. Vincent's one of my favorite things apart uh, about the film outside of Maximilian. I, I love the design in this film. Absolutely love it. Yeah, it was it was good. I, I love Slim Pickens as old Bob, though. I mean, because that's that's that was the robot I could relate to. Right. You know, he's all beat up, you know, always getting picked on. But when he came down to it, right, he, he was willing to scrap. He, he he went down fighting. In in the book, they don't have a. Uh, they're not in the shooting gallery. They're playing pool. Really? Yeah. Better. Better. <laughs> no, I want to see that robot with no arms play pool. Play pool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> science fiction pool. I don't know if it was like the the, you know, the pool that we have today, but they're playing a science fiction version of pool. <laughs> and and Vincent was making all these trick shots. I digress. Uh, but it goes back to the my love for the novelization of, of <clears throat> movies, and we, we need more of them, I think. I saw somebody Good. the other day post a RoboCop and RoboCop 2 novelization. Now Ooh. I need to find those because I'm oh. really curious about uh, how different the books are to the film because, again, they usually draft them off of the original screenplay. That's interesting. I wonder if there's a RoboCop 3. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> What what else would you like to complain about, Brad? <laughs> I think I've done enough. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, we haven't had a we haven't had, we have not. Let me let me start over. I just got too excited. We have not Thank had you. a good episode where mom and dad got to fight a little bit. Yeah, I. I mean, I didn't hate this one enough to really get too riled up about it. I mean, it's not like Southland Tales. No, no. I mean, this is trying to be some things that it just didn't work for me. Like it's, but it's at the end of the day, they're in space they're doing some stuff. Like I'm not going to hate on it that much, but boy, it's, it's one of the worst of these for sure. <laughs> wow. Okay. Have you ever seen star crash with David Hasselhoff? Yep. Oh my God. So where, where does this rate in comparison to star crash? I mean, it does have David Hasselhoff in it, so. Really? Uh, you think no, Star this is Cra- probably better. I this think Star Crash, came, Star Crash came out in the same year, didn't it? 
who else was in that? Christopher, was it Christopher Plummer? Yeah, Christopher Plummer. Was it? Yeah. In, 78. Uh, oh, 78. Okay. All right. Luigi Cozy. So this was the Italian version of Star Wars. All right. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I haven't seen Star Crash forever, but I, I think that's the movie where she's swimming in space. Oh, yes. So did you lose your freaking mind when you can't swim in space? Sure. I don't remember. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> you're like done. He, you're done. He black. He blacked out from the rage. He I can tell remember. you're so done. Uh, yeah, any other notes, John? Yeah, this movie. Um, you know, there's still talk of uh, um, uh, remakes. A remake of this. Um, some other little tidbits. Uh, the black hole soundtrack. Uh, one of the, uh, if not the first, I think, digitally recorded. Oh well, I have the. I think it on on album it would be the soundtrack with uh, dialogue from the film. So it wasn't. It was basically like trying to recreate the movie through the soundtrack vinyl portion. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure, but that's what I read. Um, the other thing too, I mean, we talked about it earlier. Tron Legacy. Um, I don't know how many people caught it at the beginning um, when he was a kid and he puts his Tron toy up on the shelf. What is that book? Um, or uh, DVD case sitting right there in the background. The black hole, man. The black hole. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it comes and washes away the rain. There's my joke. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. At least it wasn't a Bill Cosby impersonation. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But, yeah. I mean, no. I mean, it's still... There's still a place in cinema history because this actually... Not not the movie itself, but well, yeah, the movie itself. I mean, it it, it allowed Disney to step out of its its com- comfort zone a little bit, right? And it has allowed Disney to spawn off, um, in in, in a lot of good, and some definitely not so good um, ways outside of what you know their comfort zone, their wheelhouse was, which was family friendly, you know, animation films, right? I mean, they were doing PG thirteen. Um, now we got Marvel, you know, got the MCU, um, they had Disney plus, we're starting to see a lot more of it. Um, Troy, you're completely wrong about moon Knight. Um, they're doing oh, a really good job with moon Knight. So right with um, moon Knight, that thing's a snooze fest. Oh, uh, that's because you're afflicted, you know, for a show what? called moon Knight, you would expect more than 10 minutes of moon Knight in an episode, but I digress. Well, they travel. <laughs> so they time zone difference anyway. <laughs> so apparently the opposite of a black hole is what gentlemen it's a white hole a white hole and that <laughs> is where the other people go through they go through a white hole at the end okay like come out of a white hole all right Apparently. all right i'm yeah. gonna leave that alone okay yep. <laughs> yeah but no, I mean, like I said, there's, you know, where's the brown eye, Troy? <laughs> not this, why did you, we were so close from getting out from that whole conversation and not making that reference. We were yeah. this close, Brad. Very close. Going to, can't get that past me. Troy. Damn it. Yeah. And I, and, and again, I think the, the last thing I'll leave with is, um, you know, this was, this was definitely in, in Hollywood standards. This was a heavy, heavy hitter cast and crew yes. for one movie. I mean, just the number of folks who, and the number of um, awards and nominations that were just, and they were just all together putting this together. It, it was kind of, it's kind of mind blowing if you stop and think about it, because you can't name another, I can't name another movie recently where, you know, they had this much, you know, quote star power 
all in one film. Not for like a genre film, no. Right. Yeah. This would never happen. Yeah. I agree. I it's it's weird. Um, and I don't know if we've ever kind of talked about this, but when I when I look at the cast list and go, hey, you got Ernest Borgnine, Academy Award winner, right? Uh, Anthony Perkins, et cetera. I, I think there was a time period when those awards and that pedigree, you're like, okay, it I don't want to say it meant something in today's don't, but it it really feels like the movies that came out of that time period really held up. I mean, yeah. when you look at cinematography and go, well, Apocalypse Now beat this one. Well, hell yeah. I mean, that that thing's a mad alien beat this from visual effects. Of course it did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what was nominated that year too, and you go, well, okay, Star Trek was nominated for visual effects. Yeah. Um, even for that time period, I, I thought that looked pretty good. I'm super excited about the new director's cut uh, that's on Paramount Plus, and I guess it's coming out in 4K this uh, this fall. And um, they thought of for what? so Star Trek the motion picture oh, okay. has a director's cut, and for the longest time they said it couldn't be done in 4K because the original elements were lost. So the only way you could see Star Trek the original motion picture the theatrical cut in 4K, but you can never see the director's cut in 4K because they lost the original film elements. That turned out not to be true. So Paramount Plus is streaming the director's cut in 4K. Apparently, it looks gorgeous, and they're going to release that version on 4K this fall in physical media. I can't wait for that. Ooh, but check it out. Yeah, 79, if you go back and look at the Academy Awards and, and what was being nominated for just the technical awards, but also the acting and the directing and stuff, it's, it's stupid good, stupid yeah. good. And when I look at the Academy Award list of the last few years, I'm like, what happened? Um, I, I mean, it's the it's the same industry, but oh my gosh, there's there's nothing that's come out of uh, maybe the last five years of the Academy Awards where I would well, you're go. Looking, you're also looking back on something that happened 43 years ago. In, it, it is, in, and, and maybe 40 years from now, time will be kinder to the ones that are winning or even nominated in 2020, 21, 22. But I got to tell you, the um, and maybe I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm just trying to play the other side of it. No, I don't think so either. Because when I think back about all my favorite films that I think are um, really, I don't know, game changers in terms of film or genre, etc. None of them are nominated for Academy Award. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I mentioned it before Hollywood has just gotten lazy. I mean, like I said, matte painting, right? When done right, it's some of the most Oh, beautiful yeah. things you're gonna see. Who who really does it nowadays? Nobody. Everything's computerized, right? The cinematography, the shots they had to pull off, right? Especially like, uh, when they're flying into the black hole, right? The, you got a camera and the, the 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 set stage that they're it's all rotating, right? But it's all keeping that's all that all had to be thought out and mechanically set up to do. Now it's just oh, just program this and program that, and we'll just wow, go through. John, it. that's that's simplifying things quite a no, bit. It, it's pretty much it's, it's nothing. The the most natural. You're just not clickety clacking your way through <laughs> yes, special <laughs> effects. Oh, I can uh, yeah. Give me give me give me next weekend. I'll show you. Can I, I can't knock computer visuals. There, I mean, when I buy some of those art of books, um, especially like the Star Wars stuff, crap, the stuff they're doing in Mandalorian. just the visual design that they're doing on computers. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it, I, I would say it rivals anything that you would say from a matte painting perspective. I think they're just two different techniques and well, they're they're basically doing matte paintings. Now the Mandalorian, they do it on a video screen. Yeah. It's huge shot in front of video. Yeah. And so like what 
back nowadays, you can do control Z when you make a boo boo. Yes. <laughs> when you screw up on a matte painting, uh, then you got to kind of figure out how you're going to redo it. You know no, I mean? it's so. it, there's a different feel to it. I mean, even even the space portion of it, basically, that was them poking holes in like a black and blue mat. And yeah. so it took them three days to poke holes to put it on a big um, whiteboard in order to create the backdrop um, for their their space sequences. So yeah, I it, mean, so like I said, I mean, it just takes a little bit more creative. And like I said, the most recent thing I can think of that where they really the director really got creative. Uh, we talked about it in extraction, the car chase scene, the 13 minute one shot, the director's riding on the hood of the car and he's just going and going. Yeah, it's planning. But man, that's that what they didn't take the lazy right out. I mean, he he worked hard for it. Um, I just I just wish they did a little bit more. Oh, I agree. I Hey, nothing beats like the combination of practical effects with computer effects. Yeah. Um, but I mean, a, a good computer or CGI effect has just as much art to it as a good matte painting. Both have perfect examples of just garbage. Uh, the problem is, I think, um, visually, and, and again, this is probably more taste. I, I think some of the stuff in the 70s and 80s looked a little bit more like art versus them just trying to recreate something realistic today. Except for, you know, the thing I like about the Marvel films, like the the Thor Ragnarok. Again, that's another film I think it looks gorgeous. And when they when they create their own worlds or do something of that nature, it looks fantastic. Um, and I, I think it rivals any of the map paintings, anything that they would have used in science fiction films in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Uh, Control Z, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and ask the question. Brad, I'm going to start with you because we already know what you think. And... Um, it's a bomb for yeah, sure. Blah. I'm taking my toys and going to another sandbox. I'm not sharing. Come on over. I just come on over, Troy. I'll get it, man. I some days, Brad. Some days. I know. I'm just kidding. I love you. Uh John, is 1979's the black hole a bomb? No. It's not a bomb. If you grew up with it, um, you'll still have a love for it. Um I and I, you know, respectfully request that uh, you know, give people people give it a fair shot. It, it's 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 a pretty fun film. I agree with you. It's it's not a bomb. If I'm looking at my list of Disney films, does it bump the Cat from Outer Space, Tron, or the Love Bug? No, those top three still stay there. Uh, but I would put it in probably the top five non-animated Disney films. I <laughs> Rocketeer. It's funny you say that, and and I'm not going to go into too much depth of it. Well, because we'll have a Rocketeer discussion. We're going to have a Rocketeer discussion, <laughs> but I have so much love for that film. Um, it, for me, it kind of transcends the whole Disney uh, logo and everything else. Like it, it's a Disney film, but it doesn't feel like a Disney film in some respects. And we'll talk about that more this summer. Um, but also, I I just have a an affection and love for all these non animated Disney films from the '60s and '70s and early '80s. Um, what's what's that one they did? Something wicked this way comes. Something was wicked that this way comes? That was Disney too, right? Yep. And I don't, have you guys ever seen it? Condor Man. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, one, that was another weird one. <laughs> that was very very weird. Um, yeah, that was Disney's foray into like superhero films early on. <laughs> yes, yes, it I, was. That was their early 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 MCU. Ooh, it's rough, but it's <laughs> have a few beers. It's probably fun. Yeah. Um, Brad, what are we talking about next week? 
dude, we are talking about one of the greatest films of all time. Um, it stars the one, the only Rucker Hauer. It is a modernization of a Zatsuishi film. Uh, it is Blind Fury. And who else stars in Blind Fury? Randall Tex motherfucking Cobb. No, no. Who else stars in Blind Fury? <laughs> Terry O'Quinn. Nope. Brad. <laughs> who else is in Blind Fury? Brandon Call. Damn it, Brad. <laughs> Say the name. <laughs> let's see who else can i say before i say that one uh, meg foster is that her, is that the right meg i can't remember yeah i think it's meg foster yeah but either Show way shokasugi that's right and if you want to hear some shokasugi talk brad and i were just on the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema and we talked about enter the ninja and revenge of the ninja and i think we broke their scoring system we did. We did. We were we were way too kind to those movies, but they're flawless movies. Dude, so. I don't think we were too kind. I think they were just too low. I don't like that. You know, they're they're too critical. Those are the type of films you got to go in and just, you know, throw all chips in and go, man, it's a 10. Right. Dude, Revenge oh. of the Ninja. They kill a kid in the first three minutes. So it's a 10. Yeah. All right, there it's you perfect go. film. As long as you guys didn't talk about domination. That's good. Oh, we want to love that. They, film. Already, they yeah. already did. They already it, covered but, that. Yeah. Good, because that movie's horrible. Oh, shut up. It is not. <laughs> Ninja 3, The Domination is a classic. Oh, my God, John. The golf scene with Lone. Yes. Okay. First 15 minutes are cinema magic. In touch with our podcast, um, that is not a bomb pod at gmail.com. Our 100th episode is coming up. Um, Chor and I are recording a lot of episodes in a row here to space them out, because got some vacation coming up and all this stuff. But uh, yeah, the, the, the hundredth episode is coming up. Let's see. This is 98. Yeah. Fury is 99. So, and then we will uh, be for our 100. So if you have feedback or want to get in touch with us for 100, just let us know in the subject line, or you can reach out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. We're going to have to play with that format because if, if we're going to do what, we're going to do we can't do the traditional let's go you know for the numbers the behind the scenes front of the, i mean we spend we spend a good amount of time like 45 minutes going through the backstory of the film we yeah. cannot do that on the 100th episode just fyi no i'll have to take i'll have to like take the whole day on sundays when we record to, uh, to <laughs> yeah it's not happening but it's going to yeah. be awesome i'm pretty excited about that um i'm actually excited for all the episodes we've got coming up because We've had some amazing suggestions. I mean, amazing. And uh, we. Yeah, Spiker Boys. <laughs> how does that thing start? That thing has popped up in more conversations. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, I, I'm, I'm not uh, being hyperbolic when I say that the next, I don't know, 50 episodes we're going to do are going to be freaking amazing because of you. you. All of you have sent in some amazing recommendations. Movies I didn't even think bombed. Or totally forgot about and we're like oh my god that's a great pick i mean we we still have our original list we're going to talk about but the the stuff that got sent in there there are some amazing picks in there so i i cannot wait to tackle those yeah absolutely and what's cool is a lot of it is coming out on blu-ray i'm i'm assuming we get feedback because somebody will read about oh such and such is releasing this blu-ray or this new edition of it next thing you know we get an email and hey you guys should cover this one and i'm like oh 
yeah, I totally forgot about that. So um, I'm pretty excited because we. Yeah, Arrow had a sale the other day, and some of the movies we were doing were on Arrow, and I just went ahead and bought them. And I was like, this is coming up in such and such month. And yes, Troy and I have like the next, uh, God, like 25 episodes planned out. So that's like half a year, but you know, whatever. And John, um, we are definitely getting you back. Can we tease what we're doing in June, maybe a little bit? Sure. So yeah, we're we're gonna do comic book movies in the month of June that bombs. So John, that means you got to come back. Oh, I'm there. Awesome. I'm there. Thank you so much. I am there. Cool. Well, uh, anything else, Brad? Uh, oh yeah, go listen to Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Let me see the VHS Files podcast, Night of Living podcast, the Backlook Cinema, um, the Mixtape podcast. Mixtape. Yep. Yep. Go listen to all of our friends. They're they're really cool. Am I am I thinking of anything else? I was gonna do an Andrew Dice Clay black hole no, joke. No, no, I no, 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 Brad. You're in timeout because of the last one. No yeah. more Andrew. You're just that one's just no. A little <laughs> little nursery rhyme. Yeah, no, 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 Brad. Bad Brad. Uh, John, thank you. I know you're super busy because you got um, softball with the with the kiddos and. Um, work is driving you crazy. So I know you've got a super busy schedule. I can't thank you enough for jumping on and helping me defend this classic film from 79. You're an amazing person. Thank you so much. How no, far thank- are you in Elden Ring, John? How's your Elden Ring coming on? Oh, I finished it uh, this past weekend. Oh, Beat the final boss. Holy Good crap. For you. And for those who play, it, Brad, try a whip, dual whip, dual whip build. Ooh. Try it. <clears throat> I have 50 hours into my samurai. I don't know if I want to, I want to change over, but I'll have to. Yeah. But I'm playing Lego star Wars right now. So, Hey, that's (laughs) good for (laughs) your game. But no, as as usual, the pleasure is, is mine. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me back to, you know, talk about these films. Uh, This podcast is amazing. You guys are amazing. All the, um, all the podcasts and and the friends that, you know, you mentioned earlier, they have amazing, amazing works out there you know um just you know man this is this is so much fun thank you so much for having me again oh we love having you on man yeah for sure man we love you i can't wait to come out and see you guys oh a couple weeks dude yeah it's coming it's right around the corner i'm excited i know i gotta look i gotta notify the authorities again (laughs) (laughs) brad is not allowed with it no never mind And I do remember what you said, Brad, about first dates. So, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just watch out. If he tells you he's going to buy you Domino's pizza and you're all special, <laughs> that's bullshit. <laughs> oh, my God. You're not bitter at all. Charlie. No, I'm very bitter. Um, okay. So, listen, uh, I don't know if you're listening to this podcast in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. I hope you're having an awesome day. Come back next week. We're going to have some show Kasugi action with Blind Fury. It's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to have He's a guest on. for like 10 minutes. He so steals the movie, man. It's going to be awesome. Um, but yeah, we're, we're into some ninja sword blind casino. Per, no, it, he's from Vietnam. I don't know. Listen. He's Vietnam. The annoying kid from Step by Step is there. Yeah. You know. Oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be epic. But I'm telling you guys, go check it out. Uh, it's, it's available pretty cheap on Blu-ray too. So I highly recommend you go to Amazon and buy the thing. But uh, yeah, come back next week. It's going to be a blast. We'll, we'll see you then. Don't lose your head. 